Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. I am your host, Vanessa Matthews, the Founder and Chief Resilience Officer of Asphalus Advisors. Today's podcast is titled Reset and Recover, Navigating the Road to Resilience. So first I wanna say I am super excited about today's conversation. We have four amazing guests. Uh, we're literally in three different time zones. And I think you guys are gonna be really, really excited about today's conversation. I'm gonna take a few minutes and uh, provide some background and to help level set on this discussion and why we felt like it was important. And then I'm gonna introduce our guests and we're gonna get into some really, really good discussion. So stay tuned subscribers. So the first question is, is where did the road to resilience come from and why did we name it uh, this particular podcast episode? So the road to resilience is actually a training program that was developed by Asphalus Advisors in partnership with Haven Creative and a few other partners. And it was designed back in 2020 to help take the burden off of our customers in local and state government um, by offering an innovative technique and tools to help them administer a training program to their local business communities to help them create a secure crisis roadmap and to help them pivot their business models amidst times of disruption and uncertainty. So if you wanna learn more about that program, please feel free to go to asfollowsadvisors.com slash register. So after that initiative, Haven Creative and Asphalus got back together and said, let's have a conversation about economic development and how they are specifically resetting and recovering for the future because our organizations work so closely in the world of economic development. So in 2021, we had session one, which was titled The Future of Economic Development in North Carolina. And it was an amazing conversation with leaders across our state um, who were talking about some of the opportunities, the, the challenges, and the barriers that they face from an ED perspective. Um, it was a call that had folks from multiple cities, counties, states, and a few countries. So I would tell you, no matter where you live, uh, tune in to that episode. We will definitely provide a copy of that webinar link in the show notes for uh, today's podcast. So specific for today's discussion, Reset and Recover, Navigating the Road to Resilience, our guests are coming in from North Carolina, Texas, and California. And they're going to be sharing how economic development in their communities are navigating the vulnerabilities and crises that we've experienced over the past year and a half and reimagining and rebuilding for the future. So when I think about economic development, there's three things that come to mind for me, attract, recruit, and retain. It's almost like my HR department, right? Um, so from, a, from an attraction perspective, what comes to mind for me is what is the story that your community is sharing? Uh, how are you communicating that story and who are you communicating that story with and what mechanism are you using to get that story out? Recruiting. What industries are you recruiting to your community? What do those industries need? Where are they coming from? And lastly, retaining. How are you keeping the people here? How are you keeping the businesses here? How are you keeping those industries here? And how are you ensuring that everybody feels like they are welcomed and like they belong in their communities? And so when I think about attracting, recruiting, and retaining from an economic development perspective, there's three more things that I've heard our partners in economic development talk about. Number one is people and workforce development. So in North Carolina, that is a need, right? We have to have people to fulfill the jobs to stimulate a great economy. But there's also some generational transitions that are currently happening from a business perspective in our workforces. We have new hybrid working models, which are creating its own set of opportunities and challenges, as well as being able to find talent and utilize local talent. If you're bringing in manufacturing companies or aviation companies or a banking company, right, the needs from a talent perspective are all going to vary. And so what programming, what partnerships are you creating in your communities to reduce that risk and support those industries? Housing and infrastructure. So I don't know about you, but in Charlotte, uh, it's 20% more over the asking price and they're paying cash and you have investors that, that are coming in to buy homes. And so while it's, it's great to have the growth in your community, it also creates challenges from an affordability perspective, from an accessibility standpoint, um, and it's disruptive to our housing markets. And when, But when you think about that, when you bring in people, they have to drive or you know, ride in high speed rail, uh, they have to live somewhere, we have to have water and sewer. And so those are investments that we have to consider from an infrastructure perspective to support economic development. And then lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a constant conversation no matter what industry you're in, whether it be voting rights, whether it be uh, 
law enforcement, whether it be police accountability, whether it be rights for our LGBTQIA plus brothers and sisters, whether it be Asian hate and the challenges that we've seen around that, as well as our Black community. Um, what we're seeing in some communities is that some industries and businesses may be pulling out of certain states, cities, and towns, depending on where your community stands as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. So I say all of that to say, I'm excited about today's conversation. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> There's risk in every single thing. Um, so my co-host today that I'm going to introduce is actually no stranger to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. Her name is Jenny Bucolt. She's the founder and CEO of Haven Community Branding. She was actually on episode 49 titled How to Communicate During Difficult Times. This was the podcast where we cried together and where we had our first curse word. So thank you, Jenny, for introducing some new things to our audience. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and reintroduce her for some of you who may not know her. And then the next voice you hear will be Jenny Bucolt. Jenny Bucolt is the founder and CEO of Haven Creative. It's a community branding agency based in the Charlotte region. Haven specializes in developing strategic marketing and communications campaigns for governments, nonprofits, and community branding organizations. Over the last decade, she has helped these organizations to connect the dots from design to messaging to strengthen the community within and around their brand. Jenny is also the communications chair of the Entrepreneur Organization Accelerator Charlotte Chapter Board in our community. Jenny. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> All right, thank you. Well, I'll try to not to add another curse word or cry on this episode. Um, <laughs> glad to know. No, thank you, Vanessa, for that intro. It's awesome to continue the conversation from where we were uh, about a month ago when we were talking about you know, the North Carolina region specifically. It is now my pleasure to introduce to you Janet Labar. So from our region, as a seasoned economic development leader um, with strong communication strategy and operation skills, Janet was selected to lead the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. So as president and CEO, she is leading the alliance in a new direction to ensure that the Charlotte region is the most vibrant, innovative, and healthy economy in the nation. Through collaboration, the alliance is advancing a region that creates economic opportunities and prosperity for all. So Janet, can you share a little brief back background on your business community? Of course, I'm in it, <laughs> so we'll share for everyone else, and how we're addressing those vulnerabilities, maybe through policies, partnerships, or um, priorities. Yeah, thank you so much, Jenny and Vanessa, for um, the invitation to join you for this amazing podcast. I'm really honored to be here with Fremont Mayor May and Waco City Manager for today. Um, so Charlotte, you know, I think um, it's, a, it's a fantastic place. The city itself is now the 15th largest, most populous city. Uh, we recently uh, jumped the shark on San Francisco. Um, the footprint of the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance, just to take a step back for a second, uh, we represent the city of Charlotte and 15 counties across two states in North Carolina and South Carolina. Um, I love regionalism. I live it every day. It's something I'm very passionate about. Um, and as a market, you know, the Charlotte region really is among the country's fastest growing um, places. We see about 100 people new moving into the Charlotte region a day. Um, we are uh, the second largest financial services center in the country. Uh, we're home to about 10 Fortune 500 firms. There's another eight Fortune 1000 companies. Uh, we have a really diverse mix of industries here uh, with manufacturing being our second largest industry contributing. It's about $26 billion in GDP to the region's economy. Um, we have the world's uh, sixth busiest airport in Charlotte Douglas International. Most people are shocked by that fact. Um, it's we're the second largest hub for American Airlines. Um, and so we, you know, we have a lot of things going for us. Um, having said that, you know, we are a community that's built on public-private partnerships. And on today's topic specifically around uh, navigating the road to resilience, you know, COVID really revealed um, and then magnified the existing disparities um, in our communities and specifically to our underserved. Um, populations. And so, you know, part of the vulnerabilities and the, the public-private partnership solutions to that has really been catalyzed by the leadership of Charlotte Mayor Lyles, um, who has really challenged us as a business community to think about how we drive racial equity uh, within business. And so she has launched a vision um, to ensure that we are, you know, uh, uh, hiring, advancing, uh, developing Black and Brown talent, 
to make sure that our hometown, historically black college and university, Johnson C. Smith University thrives uh, to ensure that we're closing that gap on the digital divide and making sure that there's access for, um, again, our underserved population, specifically our young adults and our youth. Um, and then finally, um, really making sure that there are specific corridors of growth and um, catalytic opportunity that will transform some of our um, historically underinvested communities and neighborhoods. Um, so in a nutshell, I know that there's a lot to talk about. And again, some other fantastic voices I'm honored to be on this call with, but that is the Charlotte Region business community profile in a nutshell. Awesome, thank you, Janet. I'm gonna introduce our next speaker, uh, City Manager Bradley Ford. He has over 17 years of local government experience. He served in a variety of roles, including leading a city planning office, creating an economic development office, and now serving for more than five years in the city manager's office in Waco, Texas. So uh, same questions to you, Bradley. Uh, if you can share a little bit about your business community, the, the, the vulnerabilities that became apparent to you as a result over the past, uh, you know, now that we're midway through 2021, I'll say the past year and a half, and then specifically how you're addressing those vulnerabilities through priorities, policies, or partnerships. Sure. Thanks, Vanessa. And, and I'm really glad to be here with, um, as Janet said, just a, a great panel of thoughtful and, and really gifted leaders. You know, Waco um, is a really diverse local economy. Um, you know, we, we've got about a $15 billion GDP here in the region. And there's a great mix of thousands of small businesses as well as Fortune 100 site locations. And that's one of the reasons that diversity in our economy is one of the reasons we were the first Texas Metro to, to reach pre-pandemic employment levels a couple of months ago. But some of the names, big names you might recognize that have presence here in Waco or things like Baylor University, certainly Sikkim Bears national champions this year in basketball. We're real proud of them. Uh, SpaceX has a large presence here. Of course, most folks recognize Waco with the uh, with Chip, Chip and Joanna Gaines being here with the Magnolia brands. We're real excited about them. And if you've ever eaten a Snickers or a Starburst, it's most likely there's a greater than 95% chance it came from Waco, Texas, from a large Mars Wrigley facility that we have here. And so we had a great group of, of businesses, both small and large, that really keep our economy humming, uh, certainly in 2020 and into 2021. But we, we have noticed some vulnerabilities, you know, in, in the last year or so. And and part of that's COVID, certainly. And, and another part was what we call Snowvid here in Texas. We had a, a very dramatic winter storm in February that that really uh, kind of served as a double whammy when combined, combined with the COVID impact. But the vulnerabilities we saw, you know, um, They've really been present long before 2020, but the pandemic shined a really bright light on them and um, expedited changes that are that are really impactful. And, and the first one I'll highlight in Waco is that we have businesses that had access to capital um, and businesses with large footprints are doing really well. And on the inverse, um, small businesses and particularly minority and women-owned businesses in our market need extra support. Uh, in the pandemic, um, and, and a lot of that's because large businesses have a have a head start, but but also there's a fundamental shift happening in the economy, and the the thing that probably the easiest way to highlight that is the the move to online sales from brick and mortar. We've all seen it over the last few years, but that really expedited in COVID, um, and it and it definitely changes who benefits from the sales activity that, that occurs. And locally, we saw um, 160% increase in sales for online retailers shortly after COVID. Um, names like Amazon, Wayfair, y'all all know, we all shop there, um, did very well. And those sales activities, what we saw on the, on the other side of that is a lot of those sales activities came from corner stores and locally owned uh, shops and restaurants. And the way that plays out in Waco, the vulnerability there is that you have local initiatives like food pantries or your kid's baseball team or other other important things that, that those online retailers aren't necessarily going to identify with or care about that now have to be supported in a, in a new way. And so that's a, that's a unique vulnerability. Another is, you know, we had lots of federal government intervention during the pandemic. PPP and IDLE, uh, great programs. 
But in the first rounds of those programs, uh, most of that support went to businesses that had existing relationships with capital um, banks and financial institutions, um, which really left a lot of our minority and women-owned businesses on the sidelines, or at least at the back of the line for that programming. And so we've really engaged and pivoted our strategies to address that here in Waco. I look forward to covering more about that here in, in the next few minutes. But what, one of the things we didn't do is we didn't use the pandemic to reduce funding to important organizations like our minority chambers of commerce. We actually increased the amount of city support to those organizations by 20% because we recognized the, the, the fundamental problems that existed in the market. We also supported the first, uh, financially supported the creation of the first CDFI, which is a community development financial institution in McLennan County. And we financially set up the first Kiva hub in Texas. There's only 12 of them around the country, um, but we, we have the first one in Texas here in Waco. And if you're not familiar, Kiva hubs are essentially crowdfunding for underbanked businesses. Um, who lack credit or lending history. And we're already seeing some good things come from that. Um, actually, a, a young Asian American gentleman uh, with two businesses here in Waco was recently highlighted by Forbes, the next 1000 list. Uh, and he's a beneficiary of a Kiva Hub um, investment here in Waco. And so you see the pivot happening and, and I look forward to sharing more about that um, here in a few minutes and, and certainly look forward to the dialogue. Thank you so much, Riley. It's nice to hear about the, the different regional struggles, but how you're addressing them. And certainly as a minor woman-owned business, I appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go ahead and introduce now our third speaker, um, Mayor Lily May. She was sworn in December, 2016 as Fremont's first woman and minority mayor in Fremont's 65 year history. Um, she first was elected to Fremont City Council in 2014. Currently, she serves on the Alameda County Transportation Commission as chair for the I-680 Sunnel Express Lane Joint Powers Authority, vice chair for the Goods Movement Planning Committee, and as a member of the Planning, Policy, and Legislation Committee. Mayor May, can you please share a brief background on your business community and how you're addressing vulnerabilities through priorities, policies, and partnerships? So thank you, good morning. Um, I have to start with saying that, you know, welcome to Fremont and I'm happy to share. We are the fourth largest city in the Bay Area and the second largest by landmass. And uh, as I introduce some of the businesses that are here, we have over 900 manufacturers and we are blessed to be uh, very diverse in our uh, language, culture, ethnicity, and uh, food too. So that's one of the things that we are blessed with. So with over uh, 98 languages spoken, and over half of our population has ties to outside the country, we continue to grow beyond and uh, the communities and help to thrive. Um, I think some of you are familiar with some of our companies. We are home to Tesla for the manufacturing and we also have the renowned uh, no notability of drinking some of the most coffee of any the city in the Western United States. So I always tease people and said, not only are cars supercharged, so are people. And so uh, that helps a little bit for some of the things that we focus on. We have some of the most startups per capita of, a, of any city in the United States and actually um, our best product. And I tell people is actually our people. One in four residents in Fremont 100 have a patent. So uh, needless to say, uh, the entrepreneurial spirit is strong and extends to our small businesses, our tech industry and beyond. Um, but with all those benefits, it's sometimes a challenge and I, I got involved in this area because of uh, much of the passion that many other people do. Um, I'm a mom here and I have two MIFs and I jokingly tell people it's made in Fremont. And so I have a 24 year old and a 20 year old, but much like other people, you know, it's whatever that's near and dear to your heart. So being involved in education and, and the, with the kids um, was something that was important to me as my kids were little. But in this time period, I think what makes it notable when you're talking about resiliency, it's about how we are able to address some of these challenges and delivering services to make sure that people are recognized and counted, whether it's in the period of trying to encourage people to register for the census or to stand up right now in this moment of AAPI hate, um, having that language expertise and calling that out. I've been also ple pleased and honored to be the state president for Asian school board members for California when I served on that. Most recently also was the national president for Asian 
um, Pacific American municipal elected officials. And what that means is in this time period, be able to call out and make sure that people feel safe and that they feel the opportunity to be able to pursue. When the, the uh, virus discussions first came out, I brought some of this conversation. Unfortunately, I personally was attacked at times on this and it stood as an important moment for us as a community to make sure that we wanted our restaurants and our businesses to feel supported um, and to be able to have that uh, opportunity to balance the needs within our community. A good example is also when you talk about supporting small local businesses, I mentioned that we are very, uh, we're actually a third largest city in the United States percentage wise for Asian population. And so it comes to like, even in these moments when you try to talk about reopening and how do you support them? I had a partnership with uh, Grubhub and Restaurant Her, and they were asking, what are you doing for small businesses? And I was saying how uh, we just recently celebrated Ramadan and uh, making sure that people were fasting and following their faith, but ensuring that the businesses were able to thrive. And so I, I personally participated in an event that with one of my local uh, coffee shops and we called it Break Fast. And so knowing that it's something that timing wise, they couldn't eat till after sunset. So the, the event occurred at nine o'clock at night. And so, you know, trying to flex and to understand how you can ensure businesses are able to thrive. It means also selfishly as a woman in technology in my, and many times I've told people that there are many barriers to break and breaking through the bamboo ceiling is one of them. And so um, I've been pleased to be able to be part of Introduce a Girl to Engineering Day for the past four years with Tesla and working with our local community colleges and society of women engineers to have a showing of hidden figures to work on um, mentoring and leadership days. Um, that has translated to what we see. We were recognized as one of the top five cities in the Western United States for women and diversity. As I mentioned that we have manufacturers here, why is that important to us in this time period? When we talk about supply chain and resiliency, who would know that we would be searching for toilet paper and all these different supplies last year in urgency? But because we manufacture over 115 biomedical manufacturers, um, we were able to pivot in this time period instead of building diabetes test kits to building COVID test kits and delivering over 3 million in a short period of time period. Um, it also means that with one of my companies here, Boeinger Ingelheim, when you talk about diversity, when the, I started as mayor, um, they had one building with 150 employees 10 years ago, and now they're at over four buildings and 700 employees. But what I note as one of the most outstanding factors there is 70% of their employees are minority and women. And that only comes from the leadership and partnership with uh, how we reimagine delivery of equity in education. The last thing I wanted to mention is during this time period, um, one of the things is how do we get people back to building a better normal? And we had this ELF program, which I think is important. We called it Earn and Learn Fremont. It happened during the holiday season. And it's we took 21 individuals who had been um, struggling with jobs because of the impact of COVID, whether it's in retail. We had a gentleman who was uh, homeless previously. We had a person that was a single mother with four children. We took that cohort and in a period of eight weeks, we had them in manufacturing jobs. We had them connected to our community college in, in a certificated manufacturing, smart manufacturing program. And at the end of that time period, we were able to transition from $18 an hour in that program to $26 to $28. And it was featured most recently in San Francisco Chronicle on how it not just transformed one individual's life, but her whole family's. So those are the programs that we hope to be able to share. And I look forward to the conversation. I wanna thank my fellow panelists today from the Queen City and their innovation there. And they've been hosted us in the past for National League of Cities to certainly our friends in Waco, Texas. I was just gonna joke and say that all my exes do not live in Texas and that we continue the partnership. And I look forward to working closely with all of them in succeeding. Okay, I got to jump on the back end of that. Mayor May, when you decide to hang up your hat as mayor, I want you to come right for Haven because your, your quippy like taglines over the last couple of days of us <laughs> chatting, I'm like, yes, we are on par. <laughs> um, we're going to go into some Q&A and this will be fun because we'll kind of discuss as a group now. Um, and I'm going to throw this out maybe to um, Bradley and, and, and Janet first, but in what ways are your specific communities reducing the impacts of future crisis? I mean, what are we doing to maybe train our business community for future, those kind of things, if you could speak to that. 
Yeah, I'll start really quickly and then hand it to my uh, esteemed panelist, uh, Mr. Ford. Um, but there's, I mean, the, the response post-COVID and all around the lines of resilience has been really incredible, I think, by the business community here. I mean, everything from following Mayor May's um, efforts around how the business community has really lit up philanthropic efforts uh, to ensure that um, small businesses and nonprofits um, are amplified and have the resources they need to, to plow through this, um, all the way to how you manufacturing um, companies and industries are readjusting and innovating their way out of this by um, you know, looking at their lines of business and saying, okay, what, what could we have done? What can we do to respond to PPE and um, other COVID solutions? And so we're really proud of how this community responded. But I think the thing that, that um, we learned from the 2008 recession was really that, you know, we were highly dependent around a strong financial services industry um, by not having enough of a diversified industry base you know, that, that really got us last time. And so for us, this is um, specifically for the Alliance, making sure that we are recruiting uh, many more um, projects in industries that align with what the Brookings Opportunity Industries are, for example, in manufacturing, where we know that there are um, career pathways for people so that we can augment and accelerate economic mobility. These are jobs that offer um, additional benefits, whether that's childcare or again, um, insurance, um, things that are kind of more of a comprehensive package so that people can get their footing faster um, and, and get to those heights of economic mobility. Um, I think the other, the other thing that um, partners in the community have done, um, the city of Charlotte in particular, and um, another organization called Charlotte Center City Partners um, started this business innovation fund specifically for small businesses and helping them um, to be more resilient coming out of COVID. You know, what innovations can they think about when it comes to electronic payments? Or, you know, how can they get their business from doing traditional takeout and calling over the phone to doing these online orders? Um, little things like that have really helped and enabled the small business community here in particular to survive through that. But I'll, I'll turn it over to Bradley and see what he has to add. Thanks, Janet. Uh, lots of good work. I've, I'm impressed by the, the Fremont and the Charlotte teams. Glad to be with y'all. Um, Beyond um, a couple of things I mentioned earlier, one example I wanted to highlight was, because um, it's kind of trying to plant uh, deep roots in a community is a, kind of a personal mission that one of our council members took on uh, before the pandemic, which, which was to get a, a local bank, an SBA lending bank into East Waco, the community of East Waco, which is um, a predominantly African-American community um, and, and over this last few months, we got to celebrate, because of her efforts and, and a local institution, we got to celebrate the first bank opening in East Waco in over 100 years. So there'll be a local financial institution with hopefully really deep roots serving East Waco for generations to come. And so I think that's going to really help establish a lending presence and relationships, particularly for, for minority-owned businesses all across town to have that option um, and I, I think that'll help us in future crises so that we're not, um, those businesses are not starting from square one from a lending institution standpoint. And the second thing we're doing um, from a workforce standpoint, that is, every, every region has this problem, right? The, the workforce development challenge. Um, we took a little bit of a, a unique approach uh, in going down to kind of the person level instead of re um, overly relying on people getting to the community college, we took workforce training into the neighborhoods um, and with what's called Upskill Waco, a partnership with a, a local institution here. We take that workforce training into neighborhood community centers for free uh, to train up folks to take on these all these jobs that are coming to Texas in manufacturing distribution quality jobs that people could can get that are available now. And um, I think both of those are going to going to show a lot of fruit. Both those programs and investments will show a lot of fruit and, and create resiliency from future crises. Wow, you guys are, uh, I could write a book on <laughs> what you guys have shared so far. Thank you uh, for, you know, just bringing the insight. Uh, like I mentioned before, no matter what city, county, or country you're in, I think you can leverage 
a lot of these insights. Uh, my next question, I'll start with Mayor May and then go to Janet. Uh, what economic development strategic priorities are you working on in your community? And here's why I ask that. I feel like every time I meet somebody, if you're in California, you're moving to the Midwest. If you're in New York, you're moving to Charlotte. So <laughs> it sounds like, Mayor May, people are potentially leaving California and going to other places now that things are hybrid and you have the option to be able to do that. Um, so what is, you know, what are some of the key priorities that you guys are looking at from an economic development perspective? So thank you for this opportunity to share. I, I think that's funny you should talk about the different parts of the country. Um, for me personally, I was born in Chicago and grew up in Philadelphia and then chose to make Fremont my home. And having even been a worldwide sales controller, I traveled all over the world. So I get have had a chance to have some of that flavor. Um, but I think that what makes Fremont the place that I call home is that it originally had five small towns come together, neighborhood districts. And so I think that small business support is important and having that charm of allowing the ability for us to grow, but also support that neighborhood characteristic is important. Um, it means things like um, being able to provide things like re revenue recognition right now in this period when so many of the businesses had a shutter because of the COVID restrictions, we um, were able to provide cash revenue streams by partnering in some unique opportunities with gift card programs like Gifty gift cards. And those were funded through um, donations and support from companies that you may know also like Facebook and Seagate, which were locally here, as well as our local business chambers to help encourage people to buy local and to support those businesses, which is so critical because they are truly the backbone of our neighborhoods. It means things like workforce development, the programs that I talked about earlier, but pivoting in this time period to creating things like job fairs and working with our local community college career centers online. And so while you can't go in person to those job fairs, you're able to um, be able to see what types of opportunities literally, in, even if it's in this Brady Bunch world of, of these little Zoom boxes. It is also important for me, I'm having a background education in terms of equity and providing internships and providing things like our maker spaces. We don't just provide them at the schools, but providing them on the libraries. And so that people can have broader access, not just to where you live, but throughout the whole community. And it's supporting and growing our city's resilient tax base. We look at that even on terms of how we build our housing and be able to provide, we actually in the last couple of years have built record number of low and affordable income housing. And we've thought about how we look at the programs and policies behind that, whether it's through uh, online permitting, looking at things like online inspections, or even um, providing resources, to connecting people to small business um, agencies and funding programs and going out there. In this period of the, the, the challenges with Asian hate, I literally have been able to travel throughout the community and walk visiting. Um, I visited over 60 businesses a year in person, everything from ribbon cuttings to manufacturing line assemblies, because I'm a definite nerd. And I love the wonkiness of seeing the actual construction and understanding how that allows our businesses not just to come to the city of Fremont, but to thrive and continue. So that's what I think what makes the differentiation sometimes in picking a home is not that making a business, but making it a truly a community. Janet, so what about you? What are strategic, our strategic priorities in our region? Well, I'll just, let me just join Mayor May in saying that I, too, am an, a nerd about this stuff. I love um, economic development and our, our, you know, I feel very fortunate and humbled uh, to be serving the communities um, across the Carolinas here in the Charlotte region. Um, you know, for, for us, Vanessa, it really has been um, threefold and the strategies that we're taking on um, at the Alliance, again, in service to the Charlotte region, really focus on business people in place. And so from a business standpoint, it's all about, you know, how do we get the economy back faster um, emerging from COVID? You know, how are we ensuring that we're recovering, you know, our economy through business growth? And that really is both, you know, attracting new companies in, but it's also about ensuring that existing companies who are here can thrive and they have the right climate to thrive in, as, as well as what is the startup and the entrepreneurship, Vanessa, you and Jenny, um, to poster children for um, strong, amazing women-owned um, entrepreneurs here, businesses, you know, we got to make sure that we're addressing the whole entire business ecosystem. And so how do we do that faster? How do we do that better? Um, and then secondly, around the people side of it, it really is about racial equity for us, specifically in the business community. Um, I think that's where the alliance feels like we can have the greatest reach um, is in educating and helping 
um, employers of all sizes here understand the importance and the values of um, having an inclusive workforce, not just hiring them, but advancing them and developing that talent all the way up to the highest levels of your organization. Um, and it's for some of our multinational and our global companies here all the way up into their boards. Um, that's a really important piece that we think the Alliance as a convener um, can talk about. And it's one thing to talk about it, but then it's it's all about implementation, but we know it's a journey and we're all in different places when it comes to understanding racial equity. It's not, it's not something that has just been around in the last year uh, post George Floyd's mur murder. It continues to be something um, that we have to actively and intentionally work on and address. And so the business community, I'm so encouraged they have um, embrace this and that they're willing to have the hard conversations to tackle uh, the importance of closing those disparities. Um, and then finally, around the place, it really is about, you know, thinking about the 20 and the 30 year horizon uh, for the Charlotte region. What's it going to take to transform us? Um, how do we look at some of our nearer neighbors uh, in other states in the southeast and make sure that we aren't letting the growth get the best of us, but ensuring that growth um, is sustainable, that we're investing in infrastructure, again, that is smart and inclusive, um, that we are uh, ensuring that we become and, um, and sustain and um, really excel at being innovative. We, have a, 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 we are so excited to be seeing a, a medical school and an innovation a district come out of here with Wake Forest and Atrium Health. Um, that's gonna be game-changing for, for our market. Um, and then are all around education. Um, and specifically higher education, you know, how are we ensuring that we're continuing to invest in those two things that um, will higher education to feed um, our innovation system and to ensure that we've got the talent that business is going to need um, to thrive and succeed here. So, you know, our, our three strategies are not going to be done on December 31st, 2021, when we have a calendar year closure. You know, for us, these are multi-year. Uh, we have to actively work on these. And I'm, I'm just excited to share that with all of you. Um, thank you, Jana, for sharing that. Definitely as a recipient of some of those uh, programs, <laughs> I appreciate all that you're doing. <laughs> um, I have a question, and this might be more geared, uh, Riley, to you. You know, la last fall, I know regionally for us, there are a lot of um, government entities that receive CARES funding, and they were able to filter that down to CUNY. And I actually also, like I was saying, a recipient of a small grant to help us survive through the through. COVID, um, wondering what types of funding, if any, you've received in your regions and how you plan to use that. Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. It, there has been a lot of funding go out, hasn't there? Um, so we received um, a couple of different types of funding. First off, right after COVID, you know, you had the CARES Act or multiple versions of the CARES Act come through, and we received about $7.7 .7 million through that. And primarily that was focused on our public health response. Um, and also some very direct efforts to uh, protect our most vulnerable populations like the homeless uh, who were uniquely hit by, by COVID. And then locally, we designated a local general fund dollars uh, to support um, direct business grants to small businesses. And we actually were able to support more than 200. And we were, we were intentional about how we communicated and real proud of this. We 70% of those grants went to minority and uh, women-owned businesses. And that was the first time where Waco prioritized its economic development resources towards small business instead of traditional industrial recruitment. And so real proud of that plug, shameless plug in there. Um, but also federal funding, we did, um, we are eligible and received half of, of our American Rescue Plan dollars last week, uh, $34 million coming in directly to Waco and uh, the city council and I are still thinking through how to best utilize that, but I know we'll focus those dollars on a couple of key issues like small business support, uh, housing rehabilitation, cybersecurity issues that are very relevant right now, as well as infrastructure resiliency. And I mentioned in the open, our SNOVID event, and man, that was a, a we Texans are not used to uh, true winter weather. We had uh, single digit temperatures, snow and ice, and actually hit zero here in Waco for, for quite a while. And our infrastructure took a, took a real hit during that time, electrical, as well as other forms of infrastructure. For days, actually, 40% uh, of Waco was without power. And, um, and it's zero degrees, right? It's, that's a bad combination, obviously. And 
for a short time, both our water treatment plants were without power, which meant uh, we were on the edge of having to call for a boil water notice across the entire region because we provide water to multiple cities, which would have left us without the ability to provide drinking water, as well as fight fires in the region. It was, it was a pretty dire uh, situation. So you can imagine a city manager, I'm definitely thinking of prioritizing the American rescue dollars around infrastructure resiliency. So uh, second and third uh, power generation options at the water treatment plants is, is definitely on our mind. So that next time we're, we're better positioned to ensure um, we can keep serving everybody in Waco and, and also uh, keep serving all of our community and business partners as well. Sometimes going through these tragedies are, you know, they're horrible at the time, but we learned so many great lessons that we can apply in future states. So I think that's a great way to apply that for you. Um, Mayor May, how about you? Are there any kind of funding programs in your area? Sure. So we have been also recipients of the American Rescue Funds, and uh, we're using the $42 million for uh, revenue replacement resuming city services that were paused due to budget constraints. We used our CDBG CARES Fund uh, for small business grants, which we've given out over a million dollars worth at this point, um, our residential relief, resident rent, rent relief program, and um, I, we've given out over $7 million, um, and that's, uh, we call it Keep Fremont Housed. And in particular, one of the things I thought was important, knowing the past issues and trying to get the documentation and information, as we knew the project was coming down the pipeline, we did outreach in different languages and talked to both tenant advocacy groups as well as landlord groups to ensure that they understood the program. Um, and we also are talking about resiliency and access right now with so many people telecommuting from home. We were noted as one of the best cities for uh, working from home, telecommuting, I think number 13, and apparently seventh best for gaming too. But because of that, we are also working on a broadband master plan. And I am um, involved with the, uh, as a co-chair for a wireless initiative here with Joint Venture Silicon Valley um, and working on that to leverage the communications, because I think that that's important. I've jokingly said that since I became in office, it's been baptism by fire hose. And so I keep, I stop asking what can happen next, because I'm afraid to ask it in terms of biblical proportions. And so building that resiliency, we're updating our climate action plan. And so when it comes to things like last year, when we saw the orange apocalyptic skies here, because of the record fires that we had never seen in our history, we were very pleased and working hard on in terms of electrification and infrastructure when we talk about how we apply this. So we have three of our fire stations can microgrid, which means that they can not only just store solar, but in a case of a natural disaster, they're able to power themselves, which is important with the rolling blackouts, with the wildfires, with earthquakes here in this region, that they can actually uh, island the electricity and utilities. So we're hoping to expand that and then move forward with everything such as the EV chargers. If you wanna see people adopt it, it can only happen if you have that here. We have the most EVs per city uh, for any zip code. Um, and that's also because we are also uh, piloted, probably some people saw a couple years ago, we piloted the Tesla patrol cars. Um, here, we're trying to electrify our, our fleet for the city. And uh, if people are driving around and thinking they're seeing a ghost vehicle, it's not the case. We also piloting autonomous vehicles right now in Southern Fremont and Milpitas. We have Pony AI, which was one of the first companies that was approved for that. And we used that originally for the city to bring our workers from the train station to the city offices during this time period of COVID. We brought food from the senior center to our homeless that were housed at the hotels and now we're piloting it to see how it drives around the community. So stay forward and help us look at how we're gonna electrify that. We are also working on one of two battery factories here for the next generation of Ford F-150 electric um, truck vehicles. And so that's with Ivonix, Novix here in Fremont. So we just kind of try, we're, we are a very nerdy city and uh, that helps us move forward. This is how we roll. We appreciate your nerdiest and trying it out and then we'll try it later. <laughs> because what we noticed is like when I first moved here, we didn't have electric charging stations. Now we have so many more. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. So we're gonna um, ask our final question and uh, to all to all panelists, uh, you guys have spoken a lot about diversity and equity um, and, and we were 
you know, going to go there. And I said, well, I mean, they've all addressed it in your opening statements and through a lot of your, your uh, programming. So excited to hear about that. Last two questions are around communication and recommendations. So our podcast, uh, for, and all, for all of you subscribers, uh, we have over 16,000 downloads. John Seals and I found out like two weeks ago. So <laughs> we're super excited. Um, there's four major countries that you guys are always uh, calling in from, and specifically within the United States, Atlanta, Charlotte, and Ohio are our top uh, locations within the U.S. that subscribe and download. Um, so my questions are, um, one, from a communication perspective, and I'll start with Bradley, go to Janet, and then wrap up with uh, Mayor May. My first question is, um, what communication techniques are working for your community as you think about recovery? And my second question is, um, for the economic developer or city manager um, that's in a different city town, county, or another country where you may call it something different, what is your one recommendation for your colleague? So communication-wise, you know, I think um, what worked best in COVID recovery and still remains valuable, very valuable, is our, our mayor formed basically strike teams around each individual issue in COVID. Some were focused on education and social issues, but, but we formed a community business uh, strike team that was just made up of everybody around the virtual table that needed to be there and talk about what the issues were. And so you had uh, really kind of for the first time in Waco, the minority chambers and the greater Waco chamber, you had our small business incubator systems coming together. You had our educational partners coming together, to talk workforce, and they all kind of came together and, and, and worked to communicate, well, what are you doing? What are we doing? How can we be greater together? And then how can we get our message out? And I think that's why you saw such great results from the, from whether it be the grant programs or the ideas like Upskill Waco that came out of those discussions, because we're all collaborating and we're all talking. And um, so that's, that's more of an internal market communication strategy that I just think was really valuable. You know, what, what was the second question? What's your one recommendation to the city manager who's listening to you from whatever? I got location? And this is, a, this is one that I hope I don't offend. Um, but we, city managers, economic developers, um, government folks, we talk a lot. My recommendation is to do stuff. Get out there. It's more fun to do the thing and have a result. Um, and that's just been so fun this last year and a half to be involved in things we've never done before, uh, programs we, we would not have done, but for the events we went through over the last 18 months. And, and I love the team you've assembled here on this podcast is the same way. Like we're doing things that matter and impact people's lives instead of just talking about it. Let's put programs together, put money behind it and go do it for the betterment of the world. I love that. And I love the more we talk about it, then we can spread the knowledge so everyone else can do it as well. Yeah. I feel like you just dropped the mic. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> and it's like, hey, we are done here. All right. Uh, so Janet, uh, what what's the one communication technique that you thought was extremely valuable for this region in North Carolina? And then what is your one recommendation to your colleague over the world somewhere? I mean, for us specifically at the Alliance, I mean, social media definitely worked for us. I mean, the digital platform, um, podcasts, you know, to your point, Vanessa and John, 16,000, you know, listeners, that's incredible. Um, just trying to get as much out there to ensure that everyone could hear from others what those best practices were in navigating through you know, the pandemic and, and you know, again, emerging from the recovery. Um, so social media, you know, video, podcasts, everything that was digital. But I will say on the local government side, what we saw across our region with partners is that, you know, in some cases they got with the healthcare uh, institutions. They got with their local chambers of commerce. They got, um, you know, with other nonprofits who were serving those communities and went door to door to ensure that people knew uh, that there was a COVID test or know, know now that there's a vaccine. Um, and so in some cases, you just literally have to get on foot and meet these communities, especially communities of color where they are, churches, you know, other, other community centers. Um, that, that was, you know, a strategy that, I, that we saw work really well for local government. And then my piece of advice to my colleagues that are out there, um, you know, 
work together. We have a, a mantra here right now at the Alliance 2021, you and Jenny know it, it's forward together, you know, lock arms. Um, our, our Federal Reserve um, Bank president in Richmond um, said, you know, we stand out in Charlotte because we have a collective hustle. And so we know, again, as I started that the public-private partnerships work. Um, so for all of you out there, if you are, you know, on the fence with reaching out to your public sector partners or your private sector partners, just do it because you're going to be better for it. Mayor May, last but not least, what communication <laughs> technique worked for uh, the city of Fremont? And what is your recommendation to your mayor colleagues around the world? Sure. So I think that we had some dedicated COVID resource pages. We had Fremont.gov and our Think Valley, uh, ThinkSiliconValley.com. We had robust social media and outreach and the creation of um, CRM, uh, Customer Relationship Management, electronic newsletter, um, virtual trainings and town hall forms. But I think I agree with both Bradley and Janet in terms of getting out there. Um, we, as I mentioned earlier, having that diversity of languages, the fact that I think when I went through the census and some of these other challenges and trying to reach people, people have their own relationships. And so if you talk to their faith-based leaders, if you go out to um, access those people, they are trusted messengers. And with vaccination and other things, reaching those people to communicate that makes a big difference. And um, I feel fortunate that I can go to a Gurdwara, Sikh temple, Jewish temple, Buddhist temple, um, Catholic church. Um, so I can go all over through the city and experience the different faiths and different foods and be able to tie those things together. Recognition that as a teamwork and together everyone achieves more. And the fact that we want you and uh, to be able to give hope. I tell people sometimes it seems like a monumental task, but if everyone helps one person each, that's just that little bit of, of effort that makes a difference. I also wanted just to echo when you said, what can we do to help? I would tell people that um, to have patience and kindness and empathy for others. I absolutely agree with uh, Bradley's recommendation. I would also say for the city managers out there, please support your council, support your mayor. I think people look at us and what people don't know is Fremont is the largest um, general law city. So when they look at me and they compare me to other cities, which is San Francisco, San Jose, and Oakland, they look at, wow, how responsive they are in the team. They have each a uh, dedicated staff and they have a strong mayor. And I am a strong mayor by, by action, not by the way the governance team is set up. And so it makes it very difficult when I have one staff member and we're trying to respond to a quarter of a million people. And uh, people, I have worked every single day since March of 2020. And so I jokingly say to people, I feel like the troll in the office because uh, people can come up and knock on the door. But um, I genuinely do this out of love. And it's not for the money. It's not for, it's for the, 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 the fact that I love the community and the people. And I've chosen to make this my home for over 27 years. And so when you have that working with your council members who agree with you on that love and commitment to the committee and working with the staff, when we have our retreats, it's not about setting goals and visions for ourselves as a council, but it's how we do it together. Because only if the message is one that's shared is the one that can be delivered. So that's why we have to bring everyone together. And I thank all the fellow city managers and city staff members, because we recognize that oftentimes you may not get all the love and you may not hopefully get all the heat that we're getting, but um, that we can only do this when we have that shared collaboration. And during this time period, it has been very hard and very challenging for so many people to come to work when um, we're facing family struggles, health struggles, economic struggles. But because of this resiliency, um, I believe that united we stand and the better we'll be for together. So thank you for that. Y'all are some dropping the mic panelists. I, I, I just look. Um, so my last words are thank you. Thank you, Jenny Bucolt, for joining me as my co-host. Thank you to uh, Bradley, Mayor May, and uh, uh, Janet. I would say that I was actually surprised that um, I didn't have to go through the admin for the city manager or Mayor May, um, that it was just very accessible, um, just and understanding the work that you do in, in your communities and what was shared with us, which was why we asked you and wanted to invite you to be a part of this conversation. So thank you for that. We're gonna go ahead and wrap up. Uh, you guys have heard a great conversation. You can find all of our panelists on LinkedIn. You can go to Google or Bing, whatever works for you and uh, research their organizations and find them there. So with that, thank you for tuning in to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast subscribe, share, download, and look out for future episodes.